Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Kieran Cordetala from Illuminated Podcast. Um, I just want to let you know that this is an exciting podcast. We talked about a wide range of topics about artificial intelligence, chat GPT, and also our guest, uh, Stephen, who talks about his great product, Memorize. However, I do want to apologize in advance because in the middle of this episode, we lost internet connection at the office because of a power glitch. And we had to switch to our mobile networks uh, while we did everything possible to clean up the episode and make the audio as comfortable as possible. Uh, there are definitely some gaps and slurriness uh, on this episode, and we sincerely apologize for that. We will try to re-record this episode in a couple of weeks. However, I didn't want you to lose the momentum of all the great stuff happening in ChatGPT, artificial intelligence, and the power of computing in general. Thank you so much. Sorry for the audio issues on this episode. We will continue to do better. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Rohan, how are you? How's everything going? Everything's going good. No complaints here. Just, you know, taking life day at a time. Yeah. Well, anything exciting over the weekend? Well, besides, you know, watching the basketball games, I had a graduation photo shoot for friends. Yeah. And obviously, you know, they were still wrapping up their essays and everything. But yeah. They're trying to finish the remainder of their schoolwork before graduation. So we were just sort of tackling that as well. Speaking of essays, I've heard that there's this huge conspiracy going on at college campuses with uh, kids using chat GPT to write everything from essays could uh, Maroon was coming coming came back this weekend saying he was trying to get some help with some lesson and he was able to ask chat gpt how to write a piece of python code and he just wrote it to him have you heard much about this chat gpt i've been it's been popping up everywhere from you know people using it in essays to tv shows using it to write their scripts like south park for example to even Snapchat, if you know, they had they made their own AI as well. So it's like a bot built in Snapchat that people can communicate with. Yeah, I think more and more and more I think about it, I feel like this AI uh, might become the new way we search for things, right? Because you know, when when Google first started, uh, there was this idea that you know, why do we need a search engine? I can just remember my domain names. I feel like search engine versus AI chatbots is that big dichotomy where instead of saying, you know, give me, show me examples of Python code, this is just giving you one example of Python code, but also writing it out. Um, have you, what is the most fun thing or surprising thing you tried on ChatGPT? Well, I definitely tried it to see if you can make me a good meal and workout plan for the gym. So, okay. you know, I can build How did that work out? It, it was very detailed. It was like, oh, do this for optional rest days. Definitely try to consume this much. Even when I was asking, oh, make me a, a meal plan. It was like, do you want like keto, balance? So it asked very detailed questions. Yeah. And then also, you know, I told you about my Puerto Rico trip. So I literally had it planned out like an itinerary for me as well. So we used that as a template to plan out, plan out all of our activities and excursions. Yeah, I think that's what I think the big difference is. Like, for example, when you're looking at, search results on Google, right? You're getting 15 different links and you're still picking the first link, but it's just still one link. But with ChatGPT, you're getting a compilation of this knowledge. Um, you know, I think my most interesting thing I searched for, I tried different things on the link. And one of the things that I searched for was 
write me a poem of about, I think I just typed in unrequited love or like one, one-sided love, I guess. And he wrote this cool poem. And I'm like, there is no way in hell I can write that poem. You know, it's one thing to say, make me an itinerary for a Puerto Rico or Japan or one thing. It's one thing to completely write like creative work like that. Um, so it's kind of ridiculous how uh, smart ChatGPT is. Any other applications like that we should know about? I mean, to my knowledge, it's just the main one. I know there's other like third party apps are trying to integrate JAPTTP to use it for their regards of like whatever their business is. But yeah. it's definitely taking over AI for sure. Yeah, it's I heard that it's now integrated to Snapchat. Yeah. Do you know anything about how does that work? Well, it's like, it's interesting. I only played around with a little bit, but like you can pretty much customize your own like AI avatar. Mm. And then from there, like based off like your locations in your Snapchat, it'll get that information from Snapchat and it'll be able to communicate with you being like, oh, you're in this area, you're directing out this places. I mean, I haven't done it to Daxon, but all my friends have told me that they've been using it like that. So. That's insane. Well, I think uh, we've heard a lot of applications about AI, but uh, I'm excited about our upcoming conversation. Um, this company called Memrise, they're starting to use AI to integrate the learning or language learning into their app. So let's bring them in. Sure, sounds good. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eliminated Podcast. I have with me an exciting guest who's in the middle of this whole chat GPT, open AI uh, discussion that Rohan and I were just uh, uh, chatting about uh, in the introduction. Steve is a tech and a tech journeyman. He has been involved with adult literacy since the start of his professional career and used his interest in technology and AI tools to help teams accomplish their goals in a myriad of industries ranging from music, publishing, online travel, tax, mobile apps, and of course, education. Presently, he is using AI or artificial intelligence to help people learn a language and develop better habits in the area of nutrition. Steve, welcome to Illuminated Podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So what a great discussion to have with you um, because um, I, when I started, when ChatGPT was launched, my son Varun um, has, um, you know, he's a student at Georgia Tech and is like, Dad, this is awesome. Um, I can do anything I want on chat GPT, I can code, I can write an essay, I can do whatever. And I tried to set it up um, or sign up almost as soon as I heard it, heard about it and then could not get through because of the, you know, because of the, I guess, volume as well, or the, uh, or the need or, or the demand, if you will. <laughs> but uh, just last week, I got a chance to log in and started uh, doing some basic queries uh, with ChatGPT, and it's it's ridiculous how powerful it is. Um, you know, in fact, I was I was talking to Rohan about it, where I were uh, my girlfriend and I were planning to go to uh, Japan and uh, you know Kuala Lumpur this summer, and I started asking questions like, "Hey, uh, what do you what do you think we can do in a three day trip, or where should you stay, and stuff like that?" And I was trying to do similar exercise on searching on Google, and the amount of research I have to do on Google to get to what Chat GPT gives it to me um, like without needing any additional research is ridiculous. 
So, you know, I can go through the top 10 hits on Google and find out the information, or ChatGPT can just spell it out for you by click of a button. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what we are looking at, at the inflection of technology, intelligence, and uh, artificial intelligence, and what this means for technology in general. Well, I think there's a lot of ways of coming at that one, but I, I think that the best and most sort of understandable way to talk about it is to talk about the various levels of extraction that have happened in the technology world uh, over time, right? Um, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, I'm afraid, but you know, when I first started programming on a computer, I had to know what the binary code for the number seven is because I was right. actually putting things into a punch card yeah. that was getting fed into a computer. And over time, we got languages that allowed you to get to a level of extraction a bit higher. And then we got to, you know, terminal prompts that allowed us to get a little bit closer to uh, and freer with typing. Um, but we still had to, you know, put in, you know, a certain syntax to move a file to the trash can. And we got an operating system. And now we can drag a file to the trash can. And then we got software that allowed us to do word processing and you know, PowerPoint mm -hmm. and create websites. And each time we're getting another level of extraction that allows us to um, turn our attention to more creative pursuits. Right. You guys were just suggesting and talking about here where um, when you're searching for something, right? You now go into Google and you search for what can I do in Kuala Lumpur? Um, and you get a million links that right. you can look at and you got to look at each individual one. But now um, that is getting aggregated and compiled so that you can spend less time doing that and more time enjoying Kuala Lumpur or whatever other thing that you're doing. So, so the big question is, all of that sounds exciting, right? I was well as excited with ChatGPT giving the responses. This is the same risk I run into when I talk to a travel agent, right? When the moment I have a person that I trust and the travel agent um, can make me some recommendations, but the travel agent ha can start having selfish interests and say, oh, if I make them go to this hotel, I'll get more commission. If I make them go visit this place, I can get whatever. We can get into this issue with ChatGPT where ChatGPT might make some recommendations that might not be perfect or that might also be selfish in the interests of the engine or the company. How do we negotiate that? How do we uh, have we have we tr try and thought through that process on what that would look like? Because you know, I can totally see a scenario where we can be completely dependent on this engine to tell us what to do. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely true. Uh, I, I think there's two ways I can answer that question. The first yeah. one is you're already negotiating a world where everybody has all kinds of self-interest and you're negotiating that world now. ChatGPT didn't introduce anything new to a, a world that has a motivation to do things that benefit the recommender, if you will. Um, at least I know whom I'm reviewing, right? When I go to a Google website, I know who owns the website. I know why they, what they've recommended. I can look at the background of this person. With ChatGPT, it is compiling this information and giving this information. I don't want to go into this like pigeonhole, but I can totally see us running into this risk where 
somebody can overload the data for chat GPT and it can start giving information that would serve somebody's selfish interest and we wouldn't even know because we have no way to know where those recommendations are coming from. Yeah, and I, I think that is the tip of the spear and not the, the, the most more difficult part of this AI explosion. Uh, I can see a world very, very soon where the internet is just littered with things that are untrue. We can no longer trust the veracity of a photograph with our eye. We can no longer trust the veracity of an article that is put online. We never really could, but now there's going to be a lot more of it. We already know that we live in a world filled with disinformation and misinformation by bad actors that are injecting it uh, in there, and it's only going to get worse. I think that two things are going to happen along the way, and they're both in the same you know, area. The first is we're just going to say, all right, if it's not coming from a trusted source, right, then I'm just going to discount it. And it is almost going to push us back into a world where we know what the trusted sources are, and that's mm -hmm. where we get our news like we did in the 1950s and 60s when there was three TV stations that you know um, all had anchors that cared nothing more than getting it right. Um, we're going to go in that direction. We'll also probably go into a world where there's going to be digital signatures that we know that we can trust. And if there's a picture out there that doesn't have a digital signa signature from a trusted, you know, verification, you know, place, well, then we're just not going to trust it. It's just going to be, well, if it's not signed, it's not real, you know, period. So I think that's what's going to happen. I think in a very, very odd way, we are going to push ourselves into a place where we're going to rediscover our faith in certain institutions, uh, because if we don't have somebody that is checking this out and a trusted source, it will just be utter chaos um, such that we won't function well. That's just great, but I also, as you were saying, um, or what you were saying about trusted sources and all that, it sort of brought uh, the main issue of uh, mainly college students using JATTP for their schoolwork and essays. So um, essentially what I'm trying to ask is, how do we know that the students essentially are being trusty and getting their information from a trustworthy source because everything is coming from JATTP? Like I know, I forget which college, but I know there was something on the news where there was like 50 plus students who were using JATTP to write their essays and then the professor found out. So he was like, oh, now the final assignment's gonna be like a hundred pages or something like <laughs> that. But so like, I know there's like a part of the students to be responsible in using JATTP, but how do you know that the students are being trustworthy? And, and you know, do you see that um, as you're saying for Google and I think also Bing as well, they're actually integrating JATTP. So do you think it'll be like, Oh, I'll show this is verified, that is verified. Do you see something like that coming up to know that it's trustworthy? Or are students still just assuming and guessing, looking at the first thing, they're like, okay, I think this is trustworthy, we're gonna use it. And then um in the end they'll be, you know, biting the bullet, I guess you could say. So I just want to know information about that and how we can know that it's really trustworthy from a student perspective. Because you know, students they just want to get the answers then there, they're very quickly, they don't wanna spend long hours in doing the work. So this if you didn't elaborate a little more on that. Yeah, so there, there's, there's a couple areas. In my past, I was um, uh, part of a company called Software Secure. 
And the mission of Software Secure is to allow people to take tests with computers without being able to cheat. And this is particularly important for high stakes exams like bar exams to confer a JD on a you know, future lawyer, right? We have to know that you know the law, right? Um, and the internet's been around for quite some time now and the ability to just go copy and paste, you know, things from law books online is a real issue. So bar exams cannot allow people to get to the internet while they are answering questions, even though they're typing it into a word processing um, you know, uh, application. Um, so we've already solved that problem. If this student or the person that you're credentialing needs to have the information in their head, well, drop a iron curtain around the device where they're testing um, and have them answer the questions. Then they right. have only what is in their head to you know, prove what is going on. Yeah, now, I mean, I think that's, sorry, go ahead, Steve. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'll stop there because I could keep yeah. going. <laughs> no, I think in a lot of ways we are entering this new, this is not much different than when the internet first came and people would start writing, you know, writing essays or copying pasting essays and then eventually plagiarism detectors would come in play. So I can't imagine a situation where a professor would have a very simple question and uh, they, he or she will um, run, run the answer on ChatGPT or run different versions of those answers on ChatGPT and use them as inputs for plagiarism detection. Um, so I think all of that seems like it's just a matter of time. But I think Steve is right. Um, if the professor or the institution truly wants to assess knowledge, the right way to do it is to make the question so interactive and intuitive that it only the only way to assess it is by application of knowledge rather than you know uh, right coming up with some uh, coming up with some uh, pre prepackaged answer, if you will. So um, and I'll or make it interactive where they all they all have to do it with nothing else and no other devices available in front of them. So we're going to enter a new new direction here. Uh, did I capture capture that correctly, Steve? Yeah, I, I think there's lots of different levels of knowledge that you're you're looking to test, and you know, as is the case of lawyers and doctors and nurses and so on, where that knowledge needs to be in their head. There's one way of testing things, but then there is another area of knowledge. For example, when you are a, a programmer, right? Um, as I said. I first started programming by writing binary punch cards. Yeah. That takes forever. And knowing binary now is not necessary in order to be a creative and effective programmer. Yeah. So now what you can do is allow programmers to have the benefit of things like AI to write basic code and give them more complex problems to solve in shorter periods of time, right? If you yeah. can allow computers to write all kinds of methods for you, and it's a matter of the creative joining of these methods to accomplish an objective, well, then you can test for greater proficiency earlier yeah. on on more creative problems, the kind of problems that we need to solve in a world that is heating up and, um, you know, 
rendering itself apart with narrow casted division um, because everybody's got a different news source um, in their Facebook. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we can speak for hours together on chat GPT and open AI and pros and cons because you know, I think it's so exciting, but it's also kind of scary. Um, but I'm excited about Memrise, the product that you are, um, you are, the company that you are running as CEO and uh, the fact that you are now using um, chat GPT as the internal engine to help people learn a new language. Um, that sounds like a really amazing amazing tool. Can you talk to us a little bit about Memrise as a product itself and how you, how your team has figured out how to leverage the power of language, language learning or language teaching and artificial intelligence into this seamless product? Absolutely. So uh, I think the best place to start is our fundamental pedagogy, um, which is this. We think the best way to learn a language is to go in country and survive. Right. everybody kind of knows that right yeah deep in their heart we can get all kinds of academic journals to say that that's true but we all kind of know it we learn more in two weeks in another country trying to speak the language than we do in two years in school so it's the best way to learn a language and the reason it's the best way to learn a language is because we learn a few words like we do with all the apps that are out there but then we're forced to hear it in different contexts, with different accents, at different speeds, um, and we have to decode it. And decoding something set out in the wild is very, very different than looking at a flashcard. And then finally, we have to start using that language early on in the learning process. And most of us don't want to do it because we're afraid we're going to look stupid, right? We're afraid we're going to look like a five-year-old, and we kind of are. Um, but... You know, that fear of judgment stops us in our tracks. However, when you're in country and you need a sandwich or a ticket mm -hmm. or a hotel room, you can't, you know, avoid using the language. And so those three buckets, learn some words, immerse yourself in hearing them in, you know, constantly, and then trying to use the language early on is the three legs of our pedagogical stool we call learn, immerse, and communicate. Right. And and the learn part, we've been able to do for a long time. We've been able to help people memorize words with, you know, algorithms that do spaced repetition and so on, as is Duolingo and Babel and Busu and so on. Um, but none of us had the ability to get enough content and enough interesting content and right. enough content that we knew was fit for purpose for each individual learner based on the words that they know None of us had been able to do that until these AI tools presented themselves. And now we are going out and we are ingesting content out there in the world, breaking it down into its words and phrases, and then you know comparing that to the words that our users have learned. So now we can literally filter content out in the world based on the words our users know. And every one of our users might have a different 200 words early on in their journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can present to them content um, relevant to the 200 words they have and relevant to their interest. If you want to learn French with football, you can. If you want to learn cooking with Italian, you can. If you want to learn music with Spanish, you can. And that is one of the areas that we're using um, AI to help immerse people with enough content, enough interesting content suited to each individual 
um, so that we can accomplish the objective. So what do you think, Rohan? I know you're going to Puerto Rico uh, coming up. Uh, do you think you can use a tool like Membot and Memrise to learn Spanish? I know there's there's good amount of English speakers in Puerto Rico, but there's a good amount of uh, Cubans and Spanish speaking too. Uh, wanna, what do you think of Memrise and Membot? Oh, I definitely see it being a huge help, not only for me and my upcoming Puerto Rico trip, but pretty much any foreign country that I'm going to. Like, and like as he was saying, oh, we can use it with our interests, like French with sports or Italian with cooking. So I was thinking in my brain, and you know me, Karen, I'm a big anime nerd, so I can use Japanese with anime because you know me, I already watch enough, but I'm reading. I'm like, yeah, I know a little bit of phrases here and there, but I'm mainly just reading the subtitles. So now I think with this, I can actually like, you know, fully understand, actually see how the dialect's being used in the anime and maybe like do some role playing and like pretend like I'm this anime character and reply back to the TV show. So I can right. see a lot of potential to learn it easier because it's been a dream of mine to not just read the subtitles, but to actually fully just understand what they're speaking so I can just more focus on the amazing graphics and scenes that I just reading, yeah. you know? So, Steve, I did get a chance to look at Membot. I, I tried to have an interaction with it. Uh, and again, it might be just because I didn't spend enough time with it. Um, I do agree that this can be a good conversational tool, but I feel like I could not, at least again, with the limited time I spent, I could not see how I can learn a language uh, using this because I, I played around with Pimsleur, Babel, and Rosetta Stone as well. Um, you know, I'm trying to learn Vietnamese using Pimsleur. Again, I failed in all of them. Uh, I could not learn. I tried to use learn French when I was going to Paris using Babel. Uh, and uh, when Pimsleur, I'm trying to learn Vietnamese. Um, it's the place where it gets hard uh, when, when learning a language. It's not about learning a bunch of words. It's that when you go to that country, people speak so fluently and so quickly, it's almost impossible for you to even like understand their response. So... Can you talk to us a little bit about whether it is a conversation tool like Google Translate where, you know, somebody says something and the robot responds back in their native language? Or is it really a learning tool? Because I could not understand it by playing around with Membot at least. Or right. uh, for, the, for the audience, can you also tell them what Membot is? Because I think that's a great tool. Sure. Yeah, so Membot is our solution for the third of three legs of the pedagogical stool. Right. It is used to get you speaking um, earlier than you ever would. And the main reason people use it and get speaking is because there's not a human on the other side judging them. That gets them over the hump and gets them in the game. Um, and then once they're in the game, um, there's all kinds of hints that the bot can provide you to suggest how you um, ask for that cup of coffee in the cafe in Madrid or it gives you hints on how to order that ticket at the train station in Paris. So, but, but the most important thing to understand is that the, the, the three legs of the stool are what's needed. Um, so Rohan's example about anime, right? If he loves anime and he wants to watch anime videos, when we ingest an anime video, we also have all the words and phrases in that video. So we can say, hey, Rohan, here's your flashcards for understanding the words in the video and go and learn the words in the video. You don't have to go learn the words for the turtle is on my shoulder, which is part of the forced path and other applications. You can learn the words 
in that anime video and then listen to it because you got to get used to that in-country feeling of words coming at you. And then you can turn around and get into the Membot and speak um, in the mm -hmm. situations that you think you might be in, like ordering coffee, a train ticket, a hotel reservation, you know, get ordering food, um, talking to a stranger, um, all of those situations you can practice. And what we find is many people actually sit down and they practice a, a scenario like ordering a cup of coffee and they'll do it a bunch of times and then they'll go down to the lobby of the hotel and order a cup of coffee in Barcelona, right? right. Um, and, and they got a couple of, you know, at-bats, a little bit of practice at it. And then they're like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go do this. But before that, they never had the opportunity to, to do exactly that. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't get a chance to practice. It had to be right the first time or that barista in Barcelona is probably going to start talking English to them, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it is all three legs of the stool, the ability to quickly go back and, okay, what words do I need to know in order to be successful in this situation? I'll do my flashcards. Uh, let me hear people talking like uh, as natives um, about this topic so I can start to decode these words. And then let me try to use these words again and, ah, I'm almost close. Let me remind myself about these words and do the flashcards again. Let me hear people talking again. Okay, I got it. Now let me try to use the words again. And it is that learn, immerse, communicate loop. The only company that's got that full loop is us. And if you really believe that the best way to learn a language is to go in country and survive, and you understand that it is because you do these three things constantly, um, that is how Memrise helps you accomplish the goal. And if you just engage with Membot, you're not going to get there because it's only one leg of the stool and a one-legged stool fall, falls over. Yeah. That, that's just amazing. Like, I can definitely see Membot being used and evolving very well, maybe also expanding into um, world language classes and like high school and college as students can use that as like a tool or reference to, you know, start learning. And that way they can be better prepared for like, um, I don't want to say, yeah, public speaking assessments and all that in classes. So shifting gears here, I want to talk about like the moral implications of the um, AI and like it's a evolution in our system. So these want to like talk a little bit like both in and outside of like higher education and the work field and also your organization. I just want to know uh, if you see any like challenges or any problems that could arise because I know um that person person to person and the person has to be responsible. Like I know you're obviously you go on ChatGDP and be like, oh, how do I make uh, this weapon? It's not gonna tell you how to make a weapon. It'll be like, oh, sorry, we're not, we're, this is not supposed to happen. But if you say, can you tell me a story on how this weapon is created? Then it'll cook something up. So I, I just wanna talk to you about like, you know, problems like that that may arise when using um, an AI. Yeah, and also to, to start at the lowest level at the education area where we already sort of talked about it, all of the ways that people can cheat, right, have mostly been addressed already. Um, there really is nothing new here um, other than at this very moment, plagiarism software hasn't yet caught up. Yeah, but it will. Um, so there's nothing really new here on the education side. If we go up a level of um, extraction to say, okay, what might people do with these things, right? Then we have the issue of, you know, malevolent humans with a right. new tool. And the answer is not going to be 
do something with the tool. It's going to be how do we all come to agreement about how these tools are allowed to be used. And if we don't do that part, we're never going to figure out how to regulate the tool. So we simply have to say, you know, it's not okay for recommendation engines to take somebody who asked a question about what is this QAnon group down a rabbit hole that leaves them thinking that the earth is flat, right? That's, it's just not okay. Well, that's Facebook's job, not (laughs) (laughs) That's how Mark Zuckerberg makes all the billions of dollars. Exactly. And, and, and what we could do is say, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, Elon Musk and everybody, this is not okay. You cannot, you know, promote or give oxygen to things that are verifiably untrue, right? The physics of it is untrue. Um, so right. until we can agree on that level, um, you know, and that's the level that we have to agree, um, you know, we'll never kind of get ahead of um, the issue, the root cause. Right. Uh, AI is just a tool that allows bad people to do things faster, um, you know, do bad things faster, but um, it is not in and of itself malevolent. And then, of right. course, it's I mean, the issue of consciousness. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, please. I was ahead. just going to say the next level is the issue of consciousness. When does consciousness arise in an intelligence? Is it substrate independent? Can it arrive in something that's not meat? And if that is true, um, what responsibilities do we have? But that is a whole moral quagmire that could be mm-hmm. three other episodes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we can go on. We can speak volumes about consciousness and cons- the concept of a sentient being uh, is is being questioned right now, right? So if you look, if you go back to Descartes' whole uh, idea on uh, existentialism, uh, I think it's I think cogito, I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cogito ergo sum. I think therefore I am is thrown out of the water because you know Chat GPT can think better than most of the humans I know. Forget about like most of the people I know because okay. it is. It, and it's doing it only because it's collecting the wisdom of all the other humans uh, through the power of internet. So it's not doing it because of its own life of experiences. I I, I can imagine if somebody would spend thousand hundred thousand years touring every single person and meeting every person and understanding them, they could become as smart as ChatGPT. But it's not possible. Um, but so yeah, I think uh, the cogito ergo sum. Is thrown out of the water uh, thanks to ChatGPT. Doesn't <laughs> even think better than me. <laughs> no doubt about it. So, so it seems for sure, right? Um, yeah. You you, yeah. you probably saw that um, a amateur Go player uh, beat all of the Go computers that had um, you know beat the best of the best, and even gave the computers a nine stone advantage and still won. And the reason was the amateur player realized that the computer was just a unbelievable, you know, a perfect memory um, vessel for every move that has been played out there and all the games it played with itself. Mm-hmm. But what they also discovered is the computer had no concept of the idea of a group. 
It never mm. saw, uh, you know, the black stones gathered around as a group. And mm. understanding that concept is what gave this amateur player the ability to uh, win. Now, of course, once they play more games with that concept, they'll recognize those patterns and it'll be game over. But the point is still the understanding of the concept of a group. A computer knows the difference between a picture of a cat and a picture of a dog and can do it um, reliably, but it doesn't know what the heck a dog is, right? Um, yeah. so. Well, I think we are trained too. Uh, yeah. If you were if you were born in Mars or something, if a human never saw a dog and they have to come and meet the dog for the first time, they're trained. We're all trained as part of our group. It's not like humans are born with understanding what a cat is or a dog is. So it's for a computer, it's just, yeah. That's sorry, true, but, but, but here's the big difference. If you teach a baby that that German shepherd over there is a dog, mm -hmm. when that baby runs into the poodle, Next door, we can do the baby will go, that's a dog. It had one example of a different species of the animal, and it is able to figure it out because it understands the concept right. of a dog. And so that is the, the difference in the way computers learn and demonstrate their intelligence, and we do. And wow. that is a profound difference at this point in time, I believe. So Steve, this is really amazing. You have this wealth of knowledge on technology, education, and artificial intelligence. And uh, you, you have this confluence of different ideas that are visions for the future of education. Can you tell us a little bit about why you're so committed to education and what got you here? Absolutely. Um, really early in my professional career, when I was looking for what I was going to do with my community time, my give back time, I got involved in adult literacy. And I, I really got involved in that because it felt like um, such a great way to give back. There's the old phrase, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him to fish, feed him for life. And literacy really is the teaching a man to fish in the modern world here. And I got connected with a guy who I taught, um, you know, how to read more effectively. He was a 40-year-old machinist. And we taught him how to read with the test material for his um, work at his machine shop. And he was able to get promoted several times in the two years that we worked together and go from below the poverty line to above the poverty line and get off of all form of you know, government assistance. And that really set the hook for me. I was like, okay, if we can just get people knowledge, if we can help people learn how to read, if we can help people learn to acquire the skills that they need, then they can take care of themselves. And that's what everybody wants to do. So I've kind of spent my life figuring out ways that I can help people learn how to fish or the uh, modern analog for it. And technology has been very helpful in that endeavor. And Memrise is a perfect culmination of that because we are teaching people a language just as you're doing when you're helping people to read. That's just amazing. Like I. I love hearing your backstory. I love what you're doing. Truly inspirable. I definitely you see, see you being one of like the faces of the future of AI for sure. So now my next question uh, to you is where do you see like the future of AI going? Like, do you see it? Um, I know it's constantly evolving and it'll be evolved, but 
I just want to know your opinions on it. Like for me, I think it would be pretty cool if we have AI where it's like, you know, the Cortona from Halo where it's like a hologram and everything or like integrated even to like homes and stuff. There's just so many possibilities of AI being used and not only like professional, but in regular casual daylight. So I just want to get your opinions and thoughts on where you see the future of AI headed. Yeah, well, I, I think, first of all, it's going into the future way faster than we thought, for sure. Like not, uh, there's very, very few people in the world who thought we were going to be where we are right now, one year ago. Um, so this this whole explosion that, is, that we're sitting in the midst of tells us it's coming faster and faster. Now, I'm an optimist. I'm an eternal optimist. And I, I really kind of always see the glasses half full. And I believe that um, AI, as I was alluding to earlier, is going to push us back in the direction of finding places and people and organizations and institutions that we can trust. We're going to sort of bottom out um, like a you know person caught in the grips of addiction. We're going to bottom out with so much misinformation and disinformation that life just becomes unmanageable. And we will just say, okay, uh, just wipe the slate clean and let's start to look at ways of trusting information and institutions and science and things that have been proven. And that is going to take us, um, you know, uh, in a direction that we're not currently headed. We are currently in a direction where people have less faith in institutions, less faith in fundamental facts like the old earth is round. Um, and, and these things, you know, even if by virtue of making the situation worse for a little while, are going to drive us to collectively figure out how to solve things. I don't think that we're at risk of Skynet um, sort of manifesting itself in the next two years, or I'm not even sure that sentience is in the immediate offing so that we're in a moral quagmire. I think all of this is going to accelerate us to a point where we're going to cooperate more, learn how to trust each other more, learn how to put the the things that are necessary for trust in place um, and leave us all better off. Um, either that right. or the robots are gonna launch all the missiles. One of the two. <laughs> well, you're definitely an optimist. Uh, I'm, not, I'm certainly not a pessimist, but I've seen the human condition of taking a good thing and making it, using it exclusively for bad things. Whether it is internet used solely for porn and all the other stuff or i mean there's nothing wrong about porn it's just uh you know you if you add all the bad elements to it it can definitely be brutal even uh using the power of social engineering and social media to completely become our kids attention deficit so i think as much as we want to believe in a utopian world maybe that is what is going to protect us from making the machines take over is that there's always that, um, I, I learned in this physics note uh, about the fact that there's matter and antimatter in the universe. Um, there's probably, the matter uh, we know of is only 10 to the power of minus 23 uh, degrees more, 10 to the power of minus 23% or a fraction more than antimatter. That's what comprises, that's what makes the universe have planets, solar systems. So, 
maybe that level of positive thing uh, that chat GPT can bring us or all the technologies can bring us is what keeps us moving forward. If everything is perfect and people don't, people or humans only use it for good things, then I don't know, maybe the world will be too boring. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that is going to be that uh, give and take in our human condition. But I do agree with you that uh, a power tool like ChatGPT has huge, uh, great future. And just like you have done, uh, language learning is one of them. I can totally see how people can use it for therapy where they can go to chat gpt or a tool like that and ask it ask it questions uh, or tell it tell it stories just like your therapist would hear because most of the therapy is really not about them giving you answers it's just really giving you closure that you are able to bring out your vulnerabilities to somebody who listens to it and uh, responds to it in a fashion that makes you feel comfortable so i can totally see that changing i can totally see some low level um triage type situations where somebody has a question whether they're having whether they're having a heartache or stroke or things like that uh, where instead of just going running to an er they can ask some questions and that will allow them to do some uh simple diagnosis if you will you know i think there's so much power to this technology and i think you know what members is doing is really amazing Steve, uh, this has been a great conversation and we enjoyed every minute of it. I definitely want you to come back to the podcast anytime. But before we wrap this up, uh, is there anything we should have talked about that we missed in all our excitement about ChatGPT or OpenAI or Memrise? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that there is any one thing that we should have talked about. There's many things that we could have talked about. And I guess I would just leave with a sort of non technological note that, um, you know, I think all in all, these tools will magnify our ability to do things. And whether we choose to use it for good or use it for malevolent ends, um, that will be human choices and how we come together to figure out how to um, hedge against the bad side and the and the darker nature of man so that we can flourish on the good side will be you know where this the all intellectual power should be devoted that's the issue that we need to think about not whether this tool can do this that or the other thing right uh, again just to extend on that it's that is a weird part about it um the we is the question, right? The people who run these engines or people who run these apps, whether it's Facebook or Elon Musk or Zuckerberg, they, might, they are themselves plagued with the same human condition that malevolent people do. That's the problem. Like it's never like there's a cabal of good people that can build these great technologies. They're just you people, just like you, just like you and me, and they're just trying to. Um, build their empire, you know, buy an island, buy, buy a country, whatever evil plans they have as a result of this technology. And unfortunately, that human condition is not just for poor people. It's just as much for billionaires and trillionaires. But we'll end it there. I agree with you. Um, our hope is we believe and hope that these tools and technologies will be used for the greater good. And 
So what is worth uh, you and I will continue to do our part to make that happen uh, in whatever consequential ways we can. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the joining this great conversation with Stu. Um, we will post the show notes, show notes, links to memorize and everything else. Um, thank you so much for tuning into Illuminated Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Everything is a service. Whether it's finding ways to help students reach their goals within higher education, sharing medical records to patients quickly and securely, informing residential customers of an impending outage, or communicating with remote satellites thousands of miles apart, all of it requires data, integration, and communication. At End2End, we provide services that make all of these possibilities realities. And we make it faster, simpler, secure, and easier. Because we believe everything is a service, and bringing everything together is how we can help you innovate and change the world. 